began a series a few weeks ago called No Offense, and we're learning how to live a life knowing that it is inevitable that you're going to be offended, but living offended is a choice. And we're, we're diving into what that looks like. And, and I can tell you that if you haven't already be, been offended, um, today's probably going to be one of those days. And because uh, I'm going to push you a little bit because we live in a complicated time. It's no secret. It's nothing in the dark. Or it's not hidden. We live in a pretty complicated time. I mean, it's pretty intense. And it's, there's a lot of tension out in our world today. And so we've been talking these past several weeks about living a life of no offense. And with there being so much tension and so many people that are right all the time, we are completely convinced on opposite sides of our rightness. We all in this room, there is people in polar opposites of what you believe. Whether we talk on any subject, there is going to be a difference in our conversations. And unfortunately, as Christians, if we're not careful, it's really easy for us to slip in our own rightness and our own spiritual pride. And I want to talk about that today. Because as you study scripture and you begin to die, die, dissect what, what God is saying, you will see that Jesus was always surrounded by some people who were just always right. They were always right, talking to Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people of the day, they were always right. They always thought that they were smarter than everybody else. That they were better than everybody else. That they were holier than everybody else. Sounds a little bit like today's culture. Where some people feel they're right all the time. So I want to dive into Luke chapter 18 and read this passage of scripture to us this morning. An amazing parable where Jesus begins to give us an image. If you're wondering why people are standing, we stand in honor of God's word. Thank you for doing that. If we can stand for a lot of other things, we definitely should be standing for his word. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I love what it says. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's on the screen. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. It's not a good way to start your prayer. Thank you that I'm not like the other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So I want to talk to you from the title today, You're Not As Right As You Think. You're not as right as you think. Look at your neighbor today, look at them in their eye. You know I'm always going to do this at some point during my sermon, so you might as well just be ready for it and get to know them ahead of time so it's not quite as awkward. Just go ahead and keep looking at them. And look at him and say, you're not as right as you think. Some of you are really getting like gritty teeth at your spouse right now. You're not as right as you think. 
Some of y'all been waiting to say that all week. You love this moment because you get to tell the other person next to you how you really feel. You're not as right as you think. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. And above everything, God, we give you glory today. We pray today, Lord, as we open up your scriptures and open up your word, the truth of who you are. We know, God, that your word is rhema, which means it is God-breathed as if you are speaking to it right to us right now in this very present time, day and age, in this moment. So, God, we just pray that your breath would just cover us today, that your anointing would cover us today, that your presence would saturate our souls and our hearts and our minds. God, we don't want to leave here the same way that we walked in. We don't want to leave here the same way we walked in. We didn't come to tick a box. We didn't come to say we went to church. We didn't come to just check in on Facebook to show our friends that we came to church and that we're a religious person, quote unquote. But God, I pray today that we would encounter your presence, that we would encounter your Holy Spirit, that we'd encounter who you are, Jesus. Because we cannot do this life alone without you. And I pray today, God, that you would stretch us, that you would kind of push us in some areas, that you would poke a few few buttons on us so they kind of get us a little fired up because God we need we need to show, see conviction in our life we need to see you change us from the inside out we don't want to just keep living the life the way that we think it should be lived God we want to live it how you called us to live it so God give us a nudge today let us stand in the right posture today let us empty ourselves so that you can fill us in Jesus name we pray and what said a big amen Amen. Now give somebody a hug before you take a seat. A big old hug. If the person next to you sat down without giving you a hug, give them a hug. And tell them, my pastor said, don't be offended. I've got a question for you, and I don't want you to be humble. Okay? Don't be humble. How many of you are probably smarter than the average person? Raise your hand. You're smarter than the average. Don't be humble. Just raise your hand. You're smarter. Like most of you, you're the better driver on the road. Like, go ahead. We already know. We already know. You're the better driver. Everybody else sucks compared to you. They can't drive. They should have went back to driving school. Come on, keep your hands high. Come on, don't be proud. Don't be humble today. Don't be humble. Just raise it high. How many of you are less sinful than other people? Come on, raise your hand. Somebody like, oh, wow. Uh, how many of you are more right than all your friends? Like you have, you are right and they are wrong. Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Some of y'all are like, where are we going with all this? Now I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. And I know, I know that I am way above average. Like, like, like guacamole, when you extra, that's me. Like, we already know Chipotle, it's gonna be extra. Like, and I'm not bragging, okay? Work with me a little bit, okay? Work with me. Hopefully, you understand my sarcasm. I'm not bragging. It's not easy. It's hard, right? Being right all the time is hard. I feel sorry for a lot of people because we have so many important issues in the world and so many dumb people, right? Like, it's the truth. Like, like, do you know, don't know what to believe? Guess what? I'll tell you what to believe, okay? Because I'm right, right? I'm right all the time. You want to talk about end times? Let's talk. 
I'll tell you what's right about the end times. If you want to talk about spiritual gifts, guess what? I'm going to tell you what's right about spiritual gifts. You want to talk about women in ministry? Let's talk. I'll tell you what's right about women. I'll tell you what's the right approach to the vaccine. I'll talk about capitalism. I'll tell you the approach to about that. About bearing arms, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's right, okay? I'm right all the time. I can talk to you about abortion. I can talk to you about sexual and gender issues. I can tell you. I can talk about capital punishment. I'll tell you what's right about all of that. I can tell you whether or not it's appropriate to wear Ugg boots and start drinking pumpkin spice latte when the weather hits 75 degrees. And it's not. Because I'm right. And man, it, it exa it's exhausting being right all the time. Okay, sarcasm has ended. Come on, come on, give a hand clap. Come on. Some of y'all are like, Ollie, this pastor's conceited. He is just arrogant. Sarcasm, work with me. But the truth is, we live in a day today where that is a reality for a lot of people. And this same mindset exists in our world. And as we dive into Luke chapter 18, we begin to see where Jesus is unpacking what's, what's happening. We see a, a Pharisee who sees himself as so right, he's so right, and this tax collector is so wrong. And to Jesus, this whole parable wasn't just about being in his whole life, Jesus' whole ministry was not about just right and wrong in our life. It, it, Jesus also talked a lot about pride and humility. Because I've come to learn in my life that proud people don't love very well. They don't. And unfortunately, Christians can slip into a spiritual pride just like this Pharisee. We can do this so easily and not even realize it. Because we tend to think that it's part of our job as a Christian to always be right. To always be right. And because we're so right all the time, we're offended by everybody else who's wrong. I'm going to push you today. We get offended by, by what they post. We get offended by other people by how they vote. We get offended by what they believe, how they behave. Come on, I know I'm talking today. And when offense begins to simmer, it grows into contempt. And instead of hating what someone does, we start to hate who they are. And that's a whole different story. And since we are right all the time, we become this, these guardians of truth. Like it's part of our job to assess people. Like it's our job. He's an okay guy, but he's a little way too much into himself. We begin to assess people. She's great at what she does, but man, she lets her kids run wild. Somebody said, amen. They have somebody in mind. <laughs> this series is for you. Okay, all right. We begin to become church experts with no theological training, no ministry training, no understanding at all, but how so many people know exactly how church is supposed to be ran. Well, that church is too shallow. That church is too boring. That church is too loud. That church is too dead. We at my church, we don't preach that feel good, watered down. The, we, we preach the unadulterated word of God, the exegetical verse by verse teaching. That's the right church. Because we're so right. 
And this Pharisee, who is so right and knows he's right, begins to tell everyone else how just how right he is. And he does it in his prayer. And we often do the same thing in our life, whether we want to admit it or not, because we all have the right approach to COVID. We all had it in 2020. We knew I was right. We all have the right political view, don't we? All of us. We have the right political view. Well, if I had, if I had money like them, I would, I would tell like I would know how to spend that kind of money. They don't know how to spend their money because we're right. I can't believe they wear that because if, if, if I could talk to them, I'd tell them what they should be wearing. They should not wear that because we're right all the time, right? We're right. Well, that person, I need to tell them because they, they haven't read the scripture. I need to talk to them about that scripture because that scripture needs to be for the life. Let me tell them. I need to tell them that that spray tan don't look good because I'm right all the time. Your knuckles look like you've been digging in grease because you didn't wipe that right. You didn't do this and wipe. Some of y'all know. Some of y'all are like, let me put my hands in my pocket because I did that this morning. <laughs> because we're right all the time. And we think that we are the smartest people. That we think we are, we are the best judges. And that we are the most right. That's what we believe. But in reality, we're all sinful. We all have missed the mark. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have our hearts who are easily deceived, Scripture says, who are often very wrong, but we don't maybe know that we're wrong. Let me say, even if you're more right than most, what if you're so right, but you're not loving? You know, I know a lot of Christians who are right, but they're so rude. They're trying to make a point rather than make a difference. Let me say it again. Jesus was not as, wasn't just concerned with right and wrong. Jesus was also very concerned with pride and humility. And let me tell you, tone matters so much. Your approach matters so much. I've learned this in marriage. It's not so much what I'm saying, but how I'm saying it and how I approach it. I can walk into a house and have a conversation with my wife and something can be going down and I can say, I hate it when you do this. My tone and my approach is about to get a full-on fight back from my wife. I'm about to get knocked into next week. <laughs> but if I walked in the house and something's beginning to happen and I say, hey, I'd like to talk about something that bothers me. When you're ready to talk, let's talk. My tone and my approach just change the game. Your tone and your approach matters. So let's play a little bit of game today, okay? I'll play a little game. I'm going to enter sarcasm mode a little bit, okay? A little sarcasm mode, but I'm also going to bring some truth with my sarcasm, but I'm going to have a little fun. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me, tell you a little bit about myself, and then I'm going to ask you at the end, after I've said a little bit about myself, I'm going to ask you if you like me and if you would like to be more faithfully to following Jesus because of how amazing I am, okay? Okay? Because I need to warn you, I'm pretty dang amazing, Okay? Come on, work with me today. I've told you sarcasm has entered the moment. Work with me. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Again, this is, this is truthful. So my wife and I, um, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My, my wife and I, we give our tithe every single week. Without fault, without faith, we've done it for since as long as I can remember. We've been taught to do that as a kid. We give extravagantly in offerings. We give to our legacy offering every year that's coming up. It's coming up at the end of this year. We do it every year, always. We believe in it. Our heart and soul is in it. We give extravagantly. We believe in irrational generosity. That's why our church believes it. Why? That's what we do. We, I, I don't drink alcohol. I don't. 
Our house, we don't do alcohol. Why? Just what I believe. I don't want to do it. I'm not saying you're wrong for doing it, but we don't. I don't drink alcohol. I've never smoked weed. I've never done drugs. Never done any of those things. I don't look at porn. I don't do none of those things. Most of the time, I eat a low-carb or keto-type diet. Most of the time. The past two weeks, maybe not so much. But most of the time. I'm also a dad of four, and I got a dad bod. Okay, we're working on this. This is why I wear extra clothes. Layers. It's layers. I try to work out several times a week. I, I really do. I, I make it a point to do it. I did it this morning. I, I, I pay off my credit cards every single end of the month. There was one time in my entire life that I forgot that the, the, day, the date was coming and I had like a $25 interest fee and I called them and complained and got the interest fee taken off and then I never let it happen again. Honest to God truth. I pay my credit cards off every month. I have no other debt other than our home because I've learned how to save money. I've learned to spend wisely. I've learned to be a good steward of my money and it's a tool. It's not, I'm not going to be used by my money. I'm going to learn how to use my money because that's what I believe. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you like me more now? Thank you, Crystal. I know who you are. I know that voice. Do you want to follow, follow Jesus more faithfully because of how holy I am? Anybody, raise your hand. Why? Because people aren't drawn to Christians who are morally superior. And just because you may be right doesn't mean you're making a difference. Just because you're right doesn't mean you're making a difference. Now, I'm not perfect. I know I've said all those things, and even though all those things are very truthful, I, I didn't lie about any single one of those things. I've, also, I've struggled. I haven't always been perfect at it. I've been tempted many times to do things I'm not supposed to do. I've failed. I've made mistakes. I've fallen into those temptations before. I've sinned. I've cussed people out before. I have. I've used choice words. I've said it. I've failed many times. Why? Because I'm not perfect. So, so there's that. Is that too much? Does that offend you? Because if you get mad and you want to judge me, you can, you can assess me, but I'll tell you right now, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Because Jesus is the only one who was sinless. Only one. And though he was sinless, he drew sinful people to himself. Even though he was so right, he had a way with people that were completely so wrong, but he had a way of drawing them. Jesus would enter into a party where sinners just flocked to him. They just would show up and begin to have conversation. There was a prostitute one time at a party when Jesus was there and, and she came in and she poured uh, the alabaster box on his feet and began to wash his feet with her hair and tears coming down her eyes. A sinner completely in the wrong, walking and people scoffing at her, people looking at her like, who is this person in this room? And Jesus honors her. But a sinner was so, felt so welcome to come to the feet of Jesus. When in Jericho, Jesus was walking through, he sees a little guy named Zacchaeus who had climbed a tree. He had been climbing all his life trying to be known and seen. This, this Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He had stole from his own people to give to the Roman Empire. He had cheated people, cheated little old ladies, like all oh, this horrible person. And he shows up and he sees Zacchaeus. He says, hey, I want to go dine with you tonight. We go to your house. And in one moment, the guy repents, calls him Lord, and turns his life around just for a moment with Jesus. Sinner flocked to Jesus. There was another time where Jesus 
was going through Samaritan, Samaria, Samaria and he sits down at a well and begins to talk to a woman called the Samaritan woman. We don't even know her name. And she was going from bed to bed to bed. Five men she's been married to. The sixth one she's living with now, not even married. She'd been searching for a void all her life, trying to fill this thirst in her. And Jesus says, no, you're never going to fill that thirst looking at other men. I'm the only person who can fill that thirst and I'm going to give you a living water where you'll never thirst again. And a sinner who was flocked to Jesus, even though he was so right, he had a well with people who were so wrong. Why did sinful people want to be around Jesus? That's the question. And this is what I believe this statement next, and I want you to write this down because I believe this is how we need to learn how to be able to be around people and why people can be attracted to Jesus so much, and that is because Jesus didn't make people feel wrong. He made them feel loved. Didn't make them feel wrong. He made them feel loved. In fact... I want to read to you a portion of scripture, but I want to give you some, some context into what's going on and to consider perhaps that this is probably the most important verse in the New Testament when it comes to how we should treat other people. And it's in John's gospel. And before we get to the main part, I actually want you to embrace the context of what's going on when Jesus is asked about how we should love one another. So I want to start in in the first one of John 13, to get the context, John 13 verse one says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So some context here, they're eating the dinner. This is the last supper. They, they, <coughs> they have sat down and Jesus is talking with them. All of a sudden, while they're bickering and going back and forth, talking about all these things, Jesus gets up, takes off his priestly robe, takes off his outer garments, puts on the apron of a servant and begins washing the feet of his disciples. They begin to freak out that this moment's going on. He then goes back and he sits back down. He begins to start talking. And while he begins to talk, he begins to talk about this context. And what I'm about to read to you is crazy, but he says, one of you is about to betray me. And what you must do, Judas, go ahead and do it quickly. And so Judas leaves and he betrays him. This is what's going on in this moment when this passage of scripture, this is the context that I want you to understand about what he's reading and what he's about to say at his last meal with his best friends, knowing he's about to suffer and knowing what's about to come while he's being betrayed. He does some of the most humble, sacrificial, most intimate act of, of, of love by washing his disciples' feet all while going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. And he says this, verse 33 in John 13. He says, my children, I'm gonna stop there. Now, when Jesus says, my children, this is the only time Jesus uses this phrase. Go read all throughout scripture. You won't see him use it until this moment. And in the Greek, this word is technia, which is a very relational term. It is a different tone that Jesus begins to talk while, while all the other times Jesus was just Jesus. He was just a man. He was a friend. But now he's God in this moment. You've got to see what's going on in the context of the scripture of what's happening. And now he's God. The father in the presence of his son is now suddenly the term goes, my children. His tone is different now. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Then he goes on to say a new command. I give you, again, this word in the Greek means fresh. Something that's, 
that's, that's not worn out. In this context of what's being said here, when he says it, when he loves them to the end, remember, he says, I want you to feel the power of these words and the context, knowing that what he's about to do and what he's about to give us is the gift of life, knowing that he just washed their feet, knowing that he was just betrayed. This is what Jesus says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. How will they know that we love Jesus? How will they know that we're a follower of Christ? How will they know if we are disciples? If all we talk about is what we're against and how they vote and how we post and how right we are, how will they know? They will know that we belong to Jesus when we show love. That's how they'll know. But the question I have is why don't we love other people like this? Why do most of us struggle in our rightness is because we're so busy being right all the time. We're so caught up. Let's say it again. Jesus wasn't just concerned with being right versus wrong. He was also just as concerned with pride and humility. And if our posture is, I'm right and I have the truth, then we will begin to feel morally superior to other people. We will become so judgmental and we'll become easily angered and easily offended by everybody we come into contact with. Exact opposite of how Jesus was. Why did people flock to Jesus even though he was so right? Again, that's the question at hand. Jesus was the most right, but yet the least judgmental person who ever lived. Let me give you an example of this. There was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. It was like they planned this whole thing out. They knew it was going to happen. This is what it seems. I'm not saying that that's what took place, but it was almost like they knew because they, they, they caught her in the very act. And where's the man? That's what I want to know. I read it every time. I'm like, where's the dude at? Because he's just as wrong. A lot of men try to get off the hook these days. You, you're wrong too. Wait for people to amen that one because that's a good one because I'll, I'll say some things to the men because I are one. <coughs> Excuse me. So this, these Pharisees bring this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and they bring, they're, they're so right. They've caught her in the act. This woman is in the wrong. She's done something that's completely sinful. And the Pharisees begin to kind of bicker with Jesus and say, Jesus, the law demands that we stone this woman. We caught her in the very act of adultery. She is a sinful person. She's done something that goes against the law. We live by the 613 laws. I do every one of them. We only have to live by 10, by the way, as New, New Testament believers. Okay, We only live by 10. They live by 613. So Jesus says, okay, you want to go that way? Then let me just say this. The first person who is without sin can be the first one to throw a stone at her. They're quoting law. Jesus says those who are without sin be the first one to throw a stone. And then all of a sudden, we see in Scripture where Jesus kneels down and he begins to write in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. There's no theologians will argue and tell you that they were writing different things. Most people believe that he was writing some sort of signs or, 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 or their sins or something that was exposing these people. And one by one, every one of them left. 
begin to leave the environment, begin to leave the scene. No one threw a stone, left with just this woman, this prostitute caught in adultery with Jesus. He picks her head up. Jesus, who had never sinned. Jesus, who had the right to judge in that moment. Jesus, who had the right to throw the stone, and he didn't. All the men had left. And he asked her the question. He says, woman, where are those who condemn you? Where are they? As she looks around, she says, there's no one. And he says, neither do I. And then Jesus goes on to say a statement that I believe most Christians have a hard time with on how to say it. He says, neither do I. And then he says, go on your way, but sin no more. He gave her truth with, with an overwhelming love. What do you think that woman felt in that moment? She felt overwhelming gratitude for a guy who didn't condemn her. She felt overwhelming value that has been placed on her when everybody else didn't place that value. She was loved in spite of her sin, and she felt forgiven. But if our posture is always, I'm right, I have the truth, our posture will become morally superior, more judgmental, easily angered, and easily offended. But if our posture is, no, I've been forgiven, too, we begin to feel profound gratitude in our life. We become more accepting of other people. We, we begin to live a life with an overflowing of love because we once too needed that love and we actually need it every day. And I believe that instead of trying to be right all the time and being ineffective, we need to become more humble and loving so we can be more effective as Christians. I'm going to say this, you don't change people by judging them, you change them by loving them. You don't change them by judging them. I walk in the city sometimes and I watch some of these corner preachers, is what I call them, shouting on their soapbox, get right, get left, turn or burn, and I want to punch them in the face, like I really do. Just call it wrong, because I'm like, what good are you doing judging them without loving them? You don't know them. If you would just sit down like Jesus did with Zacchaeus, with the adulterer, with the prostitute. Let me go down the list where Jesus said, hold on, let's just have a conversation. Let's sit down. Let me have face-to-face -face interaction with you. Judging them is not going to change them. Loving them is what changes them. No one can be changed by someone who's judgmental. Several years ago, When Kendall and I had had our first kid and Chandler, he's gonna be nine this week, which godly, nine years has gone by like that. He's our oldest of four and we had one on one income. We were, we had made the decision as a family like a lot of people do um, to have Kendall be, be, be able to be full time. It's just a decision we made as a family and full time with, at home with our kid 
And I knew like, okay, I'm going to have to hustle. My dad always taught me and my grandfather always taught me that you're the maker of your own destiny. No one's going to give you a handout. You need to learn to work for it. You need to learn to hustle. You need to learn to save your money. Like, it's just what I was taught. So I wasn't going to wait for somebody to give me a handout. I was going to go find my own way to create an income for myself outside of what I was doing here with the church. And so I started to do like, I started flipping cars and I started doing all these things. And I started driving for Uber when it first came to town. This was like nine years ago. And there was a few of us on staff who were doing the same thing. We all had different reasons. Some were just to pay bills. Some were to, to give in the offering, you know, for legacy or whatever it may be. We all had a different purpose. But at, towards the end of it, we all were like, Uber became our mission field. Like we, we, would talk, it's our, we would say like hashtag Uber mission field. And we would post about it. And we did things that were crazy. And I can tell you horror story after horror story. Um, picking people up at 2 a.m. in the morning on a Friday night and and it's, it's crazy. I ended up stopped driving because it just became too much. But I remember several times while, while doing that, you know, people would get in the car and they'd be cussing and saying all these inap- really inappropriate things. Like when you pick up 13 guys from, we used to call it the dirty sock and now it's shut down. When you pick up a bachelor party from a place like that, you just never know what might happen. Uh, 13 guys crammed in my car, and it was intense. Um, he was throwing $20 bills tipping me, so I laughed at every joke he said. <laughs> Didn't matter whether it was good or bad. I was laughing because the money was coming. I was like, Lord, this money's tainted, but we're going to sanctify it in the name of Jesus. I was pouring anointing oil all over it when they got out the car. We're going to use it for your kingdom, Jesus. But people would get in the car. I'm not lying, y'all. I'm telling y'all the dang truth. And I would always match energy when people get in the car. So if they got in chill, I would act chill. If they got in crazy, I'd be like, what's up? You know, I just, you know, have a little fun with them. But I mean, I would go to places. We'd make pit stop at stores that if people knew my car, I was like, God, please let them know this ain't me. This ain't me. I'm driving for Uber. This is the person I'm driving. Like we would go to crazy. And you may be here today and God bless you. I'm glad you're here because I talked to them afterward. But, but people would do all these inappropriate things. They would do all these things. And then at the end of somewhere in the drive, they would ask this question. The question I would I would pray that they would not ask. And that's the question of, well, what do you do for a living? (laughs) And a lot of times I would try to find a way to say it without saying it, because I know that the moment I mention the word pastor, people begin to change. People shift. And um, this one specific instance I can remember specifically that we, I took them to all these places, y'all, and I was like, Lord, I parked in the back, let them go to the front. Like, it was, it was just all this stuff. And we get to almost to their destined, final destination because we drove around for like an hour and a half that night. It was crazy. I made a lot of money, and I was praising God for it. But, but it all came down to this moment. They said, well, what do you do for a living? We're like five minutes from their hotel. And I said, well, it's funny you ask. I said, I'm actually a pastor. Oh my gosh. They, they, this like woman like literally hid her face, like pulled her hair in front of her face. And the guy looked out the window, the opposite side. And they're like, we're so sorry. We took you to all these places. We're talking about all these inappropriate things. We've said, we like, they felt so ashamed. They felt so afraid. Guilt came all over them. And I knew 
it wasn't just for a side hustle. I was there for a reason. This happened countless times while I was doing it. But I can remember that conversation very vividly. I told them, I said, hey, I want you to know there's no judgment here. I said, I too have made a lot of mistakes in life and I messed up and I said, I've been in need of forgiveness my whole life. And I just want you to know, God loves you right where you are. Everyone's on their own journey. And I began to watch as I had this conversation with them about, I said, you know, no, because they were like, well, would you normally do that? I said, no, I probably wouldn't be going to some of these places. I probably wouldn't be doing or saying some of the things you're saying. No, but I said, everyone's on their journey. And I said, I just, I just hope and pray that one day when you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, that you, like, he'll show you the love that he showed me. Because of all that Jesus has forgiven me, I want you to know there's no judgment here. I'm not condemning you. And they expected me to judge them. They expected me to condemn them as a, as a pastor or someone who was a religious person or a Christian because that's probably how they felt their whole life. Because people thought they were so right, but they didn't know how to love them. And I said, look, I said, if you ever want to come to church, I'd love for you. She was like, will you not remember our faces? <laughs> I said, I can't see you anyway. It's like 2 a.m. I can't see you anyway. But let me tell you something I learned my whole, in this whole moment in my life, and that's this. We don't often help someone by judging their sins. We help them by loving them and pointing to the one, pointing them to the one who forgives their sins. That's how we help people. The apostle Paul, he says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. I remember being in a, a Christian school for a couple years growing up. Um, and we had to memorize this entire, this entire chapter. I don't know, probably like 11 years old. It says this, it says, see if I can do it by memory. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not loved, I am either a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not loved, it says I gain nothing. Or I, 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 I am nothing. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and, and one scripture, one, the translation I learned was surrender my body to the flames, give my body over to, to hardship, that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. You could also maybe say it like this in kind of a modern term. If I read my Bible every day and have a higher streak on you version than the rest of my small group, but have not loved, I'm not making a difference. If I go to church every single week and I live according to the scriptures and I do all the things that are right, that I have the right biblical view and I have the right sexuality view, if I have the right views on abortion and politics, but I have not loved, I'm not making a difference. By the way, when you love one another, this is how they will know. You are one of his disciples by how we love, not by how we judge. So who are we? We are the body of Christ. That's who we are. We are the church of Jesus. 
We are a light that is meant to be shining into a dark world and we are to lead with love. Jesus wasn't just about being right or being wrong. He, he, that was important to him. But he did it with also being just as concerned with people's pride and their humility because again, proud people don't love very well. And you're probably right on so many things. You probably are. But you may not have what is right is your, your approach might not be right. And maybe instead of trying to always make a point with all your rightness, maybe you should humble yourself and provide truth with an overwhelming love. Because I've learned this in my life, and that is forgiven people love people. Forgiven people, those who know where God has brought them from, those who know that if he wouldn't have brought me out of that miry pit, if he wouldn't have got me out of that situation, if he wouldn't have got me in that life that I was living, if he wouldn't have took a hold of my life and forgiven me where all my sins and I was dead in trespasses. When I know where he's brought me from, it's really easy to love other people who may be in the same situation I once was. So I hope today has pushed you a little bit to, to show that you may not be as right as you think and how you can be so right and so wrong at the same time. My prayer is that we'll learn to lead with love. I'm not saying shy away from truth. I'm not saying that you shouldn't bring out scripture. I'm not saying that, but learn to have the right tone and learn to have the right approach. We're not going to change people by judging them. We're going to help them change by loving them. And the truth is, we don't change people. It's not your job to change. It's not my job to change you. It's my job to point to you, the one who can. That's my job. And that's your job. And everyone's on a different journey. Salvation happens in an instant, but sanctification happens day after day. Step by step, moment after moment. Minute after minute, mistake after mistake, it's, it's a step-by-step problem. You'll spend the rest of your life getting to become a better Christian, beginning to become a better follower of Jesus. The rest of your life, every day, every day, no one is perfect. We've all fallen short. Let's learn to lead with love, not try to lead with all of our rightness all the time. Why don't you stand with me all across the room today? Let me pray for you. Father, I pray today that you would help us to, to lead with love. God, that you would, you would break our heart just like the dangerous prayer we prayed just a few weeks ago. God, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that you would break our heart for the people who are lost, who are hurting, who are broken, who don't know. God, that you would break our heart for them. And God, in our rightness, God, I pray that you would give us humility to love those who are different than us. That you would give us the humility to love those who have maybe even wronged you. And let us be humble enough to realize that we also, too, have wronged you at some point. And as people who have been 
forgiven by the grace and the blood of Jesus. Lord, let us love others to their own forgiveness. Let us realize that being right is not always the best approach. But learning to lead with love and an overwhelming love with truth. I'm not saying an altered truth. I'm saying the true, genuine truth, but with an overwhelming love, just like you demonstrated to us, Jesus, all throughout your scripture. Let us sit down with people. Let us hear them. Let us talk to them and let us lead them in the way that they are to be. Pointing to the one who can forgive, pointing to the one who can set free, pointing to the one who can restore, pointing to the one who has saved us from that same place and our own sin and our own trespasses. God, let us be people who love unconditionally. And those who have walked in here today feeling guilt and shame and condemnation, I say just like the scripture says, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But a love that abounds and a love that will, will cause you to change because of the grace and the purity of his blood that was shed for all of us on that cross. That at the foot of the cross, it is level. We all kneel before his feet in the same posture. So help us today, Father. Help us to lead with love. While you're still praying, I can't help but think about all the people that I interacted with when I was driving all those nights. The people who felt shame, the people who felt guilt, after asking a question that they asked. And my prayer is that just like I interacted in that space, in that vehicle, my prayer is that we as a church would continually to be a church that remains being a place where people feel welcomed, where people are embraced with open arms, just like people did or just like Jesus did with the people he interacted with, that we would continue to be a place that people are our heart, that we have a family of choice, that we will embrace those who are different than us and lead them in the way of Jesus. That no one can walk through these doors and feel judged or condemned, but see an overwhelming love and say, you know what, I want what they have. Because the love that God has shared for them, I want that same love. And just like you and I have needed our own, in our own life to be forgiven by a Savior who loves us so much, not to just leave us where we are. And that's the beauty about his love. His love doesn't let you stay where you are. It changes you from the inside out. He also wants to do that for some of you that's in this room today and those that may be on the other side of a screen that maybe you've yet to hand your life over to this, this Jesus who came, became his own creation. God sent his one and only son 
to die on a cross for you, to live a, a blameless life, to live a sinless life, to come who is so right, but who is so loving, who laid down his own life for you, who became your sin, talks about in the Bible that he, he drank the cup, which represented the wrath of God, the vengeance that was to be poured out for all of our mistakes, all of our error, all of our missing the mark. Jesus took that on for us, that he drank that cup for us, nailed our sins to a cross. His blood was shed to purify us, to cover us. That way one day when we die from this earth and we breathe our next breath and we're standing before the gates and we stand before the judgment and God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees the blood of Jesus on our life and Jesus can stand and speak on our behalf to say, no father, I died for them. But that only comes by confessing with our mouth that he is Lord to God for, for, to give, forgive us for our sins and to acknowledge that Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, just like scripture says. And today, if you want to make it that, that decision to say, you know what? I don't know where I'm going for eternity. I, I haven't been living my life the way that I think it should be lived. Or maybe I've come today and realized, man, I'm, 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 my compass is so off. And I'm hearing about a love of a father who loves me unconditionally, who loves me so much he won't leave me the same way I am. I know that I'm in need of something and I've been trying to fill the void and nothing seems to be filling it. It's like holes in a pocket continually just can being drained. That I need Jesus today. I need him in my life. I want him to be Lord and Savior. If he did all that for me, then I want everything that he has for me. That's you today, with every eye closed, every head bowed, every believer in this room praying for those who are unbelievers, that this may be their moment to acknowledge Jesus. If that's you today, I want to count down from three. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than just lift your hand because I want to know who I'm praying with today. And we're going to pray a prayer together as, a, as one body of Christ in support of everybody who's praying it maybe for the very first time. And so if that's you today, for the first, maybe this is for your first time ever, or maybe you need to rededicate your life today. If that's you, when I count down from three, I just want you to shoot your hand up as high as you can. I want you to look me right in the eye so I know who I'm praying with today. If that's you, three, two, one, just lift them up, lift them up, lift them up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lift them up. Lift them high. Lift them high. Thank you, Jesus. I see those hands, young and old. I see it on the floor. I see it in the balcony. I see it in the top. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift them high. I see you all the way at the top. More importantly, God sees you in this moment. I see you. I see you. I see you, I see you, I see you. Thank you, just, just a few minutes more. Don't worry about the people to the left, the right, the front of the back, just lift your hand. This is between you and God in this moment. I need Jesus, I want him to make all things new. I wanna turn my life around. Thank you, Jesus, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Make me clean, God. In Jesus' name. You can put your hands down. Now I want us all together. Let's pray this as a corporate prayer, loud, loud, where our ears can hear our voice. Say it with faith and let's say it with boldness and confidence. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live a new life in you. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. And today I ask that you forgive me of all my sin and help me to live the life that you've planned for me. Today I recognize and I acknowledge that Jesus raised you from the dead so that I can have life and life to the full. Thank you. I put my faith in you today. I put my hope in you today. And I put my trust in you today. 
In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said a big amen. If you just made a decision to invite God into your life, we would love to know. If you could text us at SCSAVE to 97000, we would love to help equip you with some next steps for you to take along this journey. If this message was a blessing to your life and you'd like to help support Skybreak financially, you can give online using Skybreak Church app or skybreakchurch.com. We'd love for you to join us in person next Sunday right here at 9.15. Until then, we hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.